Welcome all of you to our study this evening. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time together in the Word. So let's uh, stand. It is indeed a, a joy and a great privilege that we have uh, to gather again to study thy word, our God. We thank thee for this revelation, uh, which is um, absolutely true and faithful. It is what thou hast uh, designed to give unto us it has been preserved by thee throughout the ages and we ask our Lord now that thou would instruct us in thy ways open our hearts give to us Lord sound minds uh, that we would uh, receive it meditate reflect upon thy holy word that it would not simply uh, be heard with our natural ears but with our our supernatural ears our spiritual ears we ask lord to sanctify us through thy truth thy word is truth in jesus name amen the focus of our study this evening is uh, john 9 verses 26 34. Let's begin reading at verse 17. John 9:17. And you'll recall the context here that this man that was born blind has been healed by the Lord Jesus. He's been brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin and questioned and they conclude uh, the first investigation of this man the Sanhedrin does in verse 17 they say unto the blind man again what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes he said he is a prophet but the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, 
I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. In the previous study, the Sanhedrin uh, completed their first examination of the man that was born blind and was healed by the Lord Jesus. And uh, they come away from that first uh, examination of the man disbelieving his testimony. Uh, they d really don't believe that he was actually born blind from what he had to say in verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. And so they thought he was lying to them, uh, but they call in then the parents, uh, and the parents are summoned to likewise give testimony. They tell the Sanhedrin, uh, this is our son and he was born blind. But we read that because they feared to be excommunicated from the synagogue, uh, that they refer the question back to their son and say, he's of age, uh, ask him. And so the Sanhedrin then calls for the man that was healed to appear a second time uh, before them. And since uh, they cannot really deny the testimony, not only of the man who was healed, but now the parents who said, uh, yeah, this is our son, he was born blind. Uh, how he came to be healed, we don't know. But he is been, he's been healed. So now the uh, Sanhedrin's in a tough spot. They, they can't deny uh, that the man was born blind, and now he sees. And so they pressure this man uh, in the second interview to declare that Jesus is a sinner and uh, not a prophet. As the man had declared back in verse 17, uh, at the end of verse 17, the man that was healed said, he is a prophet. That was his testimony. But now the man himself, like his parents, fears being excommunicated. And uh, he says, 
in verse 25, because the Pharisees had accused him of being the uh, Jesus of being a sinner uh, rather than a prophet. Now the man, rather than saying he's a prophet, he uh, says in verse 25, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. So now he seems to be wanting to take more of a neutral position because he has no doubt the same fear as his parents had of being excommunicated and rather than continuing to declare that he's a prophet, that's all that he knew at this point uh, and he was willing to declare that at, at the first uh, time that he was examined but now the second time uh, he's taking a little more diplomatic approach. Uh, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not but what I do know is I was blind but now I see. So that's where he basically leaves things at, at uh, where we last finished our study. He, uh, he was led in the second examination by fear uh, rather than by faith. He was led by fear and he leans upon his experience. I once was blind but now I see. But what we're going to find uh, in this section that's before us uh, this evening is that whereas he was fearful and he was afraid to to say what he really I think wanted to say about Jesus before the Sanhedrin for fear of being excommunicated uh, he comes out God it would appear while his parents were being examined and he probably was not in the room where his parents were being examined but during that period of time something happened to him um, the Lord worked a kind of courage in the man that was healed because uh, he, he at, at the end of this um, uh, second examination uh, he is very very bold and as a result of his boldness he is excommunicated uh, but he uh, receives that boldness, that courage, uh, it would appear during his first and his second examination before the Sanhedrin. So let's, let's begin verse 26, John 9, 26. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? So the Sanhedrin doubles down on the healed man by asking basically the same questions that they asked him in the first interview. Notice in verse 26, it says, then said they to him again, a second time. Basically, if you go back to verse 15 in the first interview, there you read, then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And so now they're asking him again, what did he do to thee? How opened he thine ears, um, thine eyes? And uh, so here we see they're focusing again upon the how question, not the who question. We've raised that before. They want to know how he was healed, not who uh, healed him, uh, as far as focusing upon 
uh, Christ and who he is, but how he was healed. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Can you hear the sarcasm uh, in his question there? Will ye also be his disciples? This this point, the healed man, would appear is becoming very annoyed uh, by the same line of questioning. Uh, and likely, uh, the fact that he and his parents have have been uh, interrogated over a healing. The fact that uh, he could not see and now he can and here they are being interrogated uh, about the fact that that he was healed. He received his sight on the Sabbath day. And so he sarcastically asks them if they are questioning him because they want to also become his disciples. Um, I don't know if the also there means others have become his disciples. Do you want to become his disciples like others have? Or if he's actually including himself now as being one of the disciples of Christ, uh, now a follower of, of Christ in some way. Um, he sees that this is uh, clearly not a fair trial. Um, this is not a, a fair hearing. Uh, that uh, they ha are, have already made up their minds and they're simply on a witch hunt. Uh, they found the crime. Um, they found the suspect. Now they've got to find the evidence. Uh, you know, they, uh, rather than finding the evidence which leads to the suspect, uh, they were doing it just in the reverse order. Uh, because they've already determined that Jesus is a sinner by performing a miracle on the Sabbath day. So the Sanhedrin now wants the healed man uh, to be their primary witness in testifying against Jesus. You see, they've sought two to three witnesses, which is what the law requires. They sought the man himself who was healed, his parents, that's two more. So they've tried to gather two or three witnesses against Jesus, but they have found in each case that uh, they're not going to testify against Jesus. They've not found any witnesses, but that's not going to stop them at all. Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. So they revile, they rant, they rave, uh, rail against uh, the man in anger because of what he said. Will ye also be his disciples? This court um, reveals their bias, uh, their prejudice, because here they begin attacking the witness and the primary witness, the man who was healed, they attack the witness rather than weighing the evidence. They don't care about the evidence. You see, this is precisely what a church court or any court ought not to do if it is to be just, is to attack 
uh, witnesses. And the court seeks to here separate Jesus from Moses as if to imply that no one could be a follower of Jesus and a follower of Moses at the same time. Uh, that uh, they are trying to make such a distinction between Moses and Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, they say to the man that was healed. We're followers of Moses. They're saying you can't be both. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches, though. Uh, in fact, if we are a true follower of Jesus, uh, we will listen to Moses. Uh, we will follow the teaching of Moses because it's the same God that sent Moses that sent Jesus. And it's the same God that revealed himself to Moses. Uh, there in the burning bush was the pre-incarnate Christ that revealed himself. He was the great I Am, and Jesus uh, was the one who revealed himself even at that point uh, by way of uh, speaking to Moses. You remember Moses uh, in Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19, he uh, spoke of a prophet that was to come greater than himself. Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19. This is uh, actually God speaking to Moses. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. God says, like unto thee, Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so uh, this prophet uh, that's greater than Moses uh, would come, and this is realized and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, uh, not in Muhammad, as Islam teaches, not in Joseph Smith, as the Book of Mormon or as Mormonism teaches. This is the Lord Jesus Christ that is spoken of here in Deuteronomy 18. So the Sanhedrin could have not been any more wrong than to try to divide Jesus from Moses. See, anyone... And any church or any religion that uh, seeks to make the religion taught by Moses a different religion than that taught by Jesus Christ is clearly in error. Whether it be the Jews that make that distinction between Moses and Jesus or whether it be dispensationalists that makes such a, a, a classic uh, dispensationalism, that makes such a strong dividing line between Moses and Jesus. Um, regardless of the system of theology that makes that strong demarcation 
uh, between Moses and Jesus and forgets or ignores or rejects the fact that Jesus is simply fulfilling all that was prophesied by Moses and all that God gave to Moses pointed to Jesus Christ, whether it be the temple, whether it be the sacrifices, whether it be the ceremonies, uh, they all pointed to Jesus. If one analyzes the teaching of Jesus and that of the apostles, and one begins to see how often uh, they refer back to the Old Testament, whether it's Abraham, uh, whether it's um, Moses, whether it's David, whether it's the prophets, uh, countless times, uh, you know, especially when they're speaking to the Jews, uh, there, there is in every one of their sermons and in the books of the Bible, the New Testament, the references back to the Old Testament. Why, why do they do that? Because they are showing, again, the continuity that this is the same essential religion. It's not two different religions. It's essentially the same religion. Um, granted, uh, there are differences, but not differences as to substance. Uh, simply differences as to outward ceremonies but not asked to substance. For example, um, it's the same triune God that is worshipped in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. For example, in Isaiah 48, 16. Notice here the reference to the triune God Isaiah 48:16 Come ye near unto me hear ye this I have not spoken in secret from the beginning from the time that it was there am I and now the Lord God in his spirit hath sent me So the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. Who is the me? Lord God is the Father. His spirit is the Holy Spirit who hath sent me. Verse 17 continues, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look at uh, uh, the next chapter. Chapter 49 continues the same speaker listen O isles unto me and hearken ye people from far the Lord hath called me from the womb from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me and said unto me thou art my servant O Israel in whom I will be glorified then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord, that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. 
Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. Thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So the speaker in verse 16 and it continues into chapter, remember there are no chapter divisions in the original text, uh, and so it continues into cha uh, chapter 49. It's, it's the Lord Jesus that is speaking here. And he says the Lord God, meaning his Father, and the Spirit has sent him. So uh, who did uh, the, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament worship? They worship the triune God, as we do. Um, they worship the same Redeemer as we do, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Galatians 3.17. <clears throat> Galatians 3.17, speaking of the covenant that God made with Abraham, says, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God, meaning the covenant made with Abraham, that was confirmed before of God, notice, in Christ. That covenant with Abraham was confirmed of God in Christ. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. That was a Christian covenant made with Abraham. Uh, it was not a, a non-Christian. It was not simply uh, an Abrahamic covenant. It was a Christian covenant made in Christ. So we have the same Redeemer uh, as those in the Old Testament had, believers in the Old Testament. The, the same moral law. Uh, not a different uh, standard, but the same moral law. In Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus says that he did not come uh, to abolish uh, God's moral law, but to establish it, uh, to make it full. Uh, and he says, furthermore, in Matthew 5, that anybody who teaches uh, another person not to keep the least of these commandments of his moral law shall be least in the kingdom of God. And so, but he who teaches uh, others to keep it shall be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about his moral law. So again, uh, the moral law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments is, is not a different standard for God's people in the New Testament than it was for God's people in the Old Testament. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 31, he says, uh, do we annul the law through faith? Does When we believe in Jesus Christ, have we annulled the law of God, the moral law of God? He says, God forbid. We rather establish it establish God's moral law. It's the same gospel. 
the same good news uh, that we have in the New Testament that was given to God's people in the Old Testament, though, again, it was given uh, through its teaching, through the teaching of Moses, but also through the ceremonies, many pictures of, of the uh, gospel that was given. For example, in Hebrews 4.2, we see very clearly that it's the same gospel that was given to Israel that, was, that is given uh, to God's people today. Hebrews 4.2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. So us, in the present time, was the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, as well as unto them. And the them is referring back in, in the context at the end of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4. It's talking about God's people that were wandering in the wilderness. The gospel that is preached to us was also preached to them. But, Paul goes on to say in verse 2, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Furthermore, it's the same church. Um, the church of the Old Testament is essentially the same church. God has one church throughout time. Uh, certainly, um, outward ordinances uh, in the Old Testament, as compared to the New, um, have been altered and changed because Christ again fulfilled those outward ordinances that pointed to him. But the essence, the substance of the church, God's people that are called out, uh, uh, the gospel that is given to them to believe and trust uh, in the Lord, um, this is all the same. Um, in Acts 7.38, uh, there Philip is giving uh, his testimony uh, before the Sanhedrin and uh, he says, he speaks of the church in the wilderness, talking about um, God's people, his visible people that were wandering in the wilderness. He calls it the ecclesia, the same word that's used in the New Testament for the church in the New Covenant. It's called the church in the wilderness. So the church in the Old Covenant, the church in the New, Test, uh, New Covenant, they're not two different churches. They are essentially, uh, as to substance, the same church because they have the same God, they have the same Redeemer, they have the same law, they have the same gospel. They're the same church, essentially. And so... As I said, any, anyone who uh, tries to separate um, the, the teaching of Moses and to make that in some way contradictory to or uh, altogether different from the teaching of Jesus is teaching and leading people into error. Um, Jesus uh, did not uh, teach that. He did not practice that. Um, the apostles likewise did not teach that uh, new covenant christianity new covenant the new covenant religion is simply the 
the fulfillment and the realization of, of that which is in the Old Covenant. Verse 29, back to John 9, verse 29. So the Sanhedrin continues their, their uh, attack. They say, we know that God spake unto Moses... As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. So they claim here that they know Moses was commissioned by God to give and to teach God's revelation, but they claim that Jesus has no such commission uh, from God to teach, uh, to um, do what he is doing, the miracles, whatever. Uh, he has no commission from God to, to do that. That's what they mean when they say, but we know not from whence he is. We know not from whence his authority comes. Uh, we know not from whence um, uh, the uh, commission, uh, the sending forth comes. Uh, you know, they accuse him in other places in the New Testament of, of, of being uh, sent by Beelzebub, uh, by, by the devil. They're basically saying that Jesus is a phony. Um, he's a false prophet here that no one should follow. But they should know, and uh, they may uh, have heard and just are not wanting to uh, to rehearse what Jesus has said in the past, but in John 5, verses 36 through 38, he very clearly says who sent him. Jesus says, But I have greater witness than that of John, that is John the Baptist, who testified uh, concerning Jesus, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, that is, whom the Father hath sent, him ye believe not. So Jesus, uh, very clearly on this occasion, but in other places as well, makes very clear uh, he did not send himself, the Father sent him, the one that the Jews claimed to worship, claimed to be their God, uh, is the very one that sent him, sent Jesus. Verse 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. So this man, uh, at this point, is really humiliating, embarrassing, shaming his examiners. 
uh, he claims that it's a, an amazing thing that the Sanhedrin does not know the source of Christ's commission and authority, that is, being from God the Father. And yet, Jesus has miraculously healed him of his blindness, which is a confirmation, Jesus would say, uh, which is a confirmation that his, his authority is from God the Father. You see, this is precisely what was prophesied the Messiah would do, is heal the blind. In Isaiah 42, and again, those who were learned in the scriptures uh, certainly would have read and known a passage like this, Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 7. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, the Father speaking of the Son. Notice in verse 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. In other places, there are prophecies of, um, as well of him healing blindness, healing the deaf, the lame. All that he did, as we read the New Testament, was prophesied that he would do in the Old Testament. So his miracles, and that's what this man is based, this man that was healed is saying, you know, this is really an amazing thing. This is marvelous. You claim that uh, you don't know the source of his authority and power, who commissioned him, and yet here he is fulfilling the prophecies made in the Old Testament that, uh, that the Messiah would come and would heal the blind. Verse 31. Now we know that God... This is the blind man, uh, the man that was healed, that was blind. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The healed man declares really what no Jew would deny when he says, now we know. Uh, in other words, what he's about to say would be universally accepted as, as being true, even by the Sanhedrin. And what is it that everybody would accept to be true uh, amongst the Jews? That God does not hear the prayers of the unrepentant wicked, and specifically the wicked who call upon him to heal the sick. God doesn't heal or hear their prayers. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. So it's implied there, if he's far from the wicked, he doesn't hear their prayers, but he does hear the prayer of the righteous. And uh, likewise in Proverbs 28, verse 9, Proverbs 28, 9. 
He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. That is abomination to God. God will not hear if, if one turns away from uh, hearing uh, and hearing the law, not merely with one's natural ear here. Hearing has to do with um, hearing inwardly, which is, again, uh, to obey God's law. So he that turneth away his, his ear from hearing uh, and obeying God's law, even his prayer, shall be an abomination. So this, this man that was healed is, is again, speaking boldly uh, to the Sanhedrin, whereas before he was afraid to speak. And this boldness uh, is amazing that uh, he now has uh, in testifying that God doesn't hear, you, you said that he's a sinner, that he's unrepentant, he, he, he is a phony, uh, he is a false prophet. God doesn't hear the prayers of, of, of those types of people. But he does hear the prayer of one who truly worships him. That is, worships him in spirit and truth. In John 4, 24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He hears the prayers of true worshipers. The man says, who seek to do God's will. He hears their prayers. Proverbs 15, 8. <clears throat> the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his, his delight. So again, he, he basically presents to them something they could not deny, and they don't deny it. They don't say, no, you're wrong. Uh, no, what he said, they all affirm. God doesn't hear the prayer of, of the unrepentant wicked. He does hear the prayers of those who turn from their sins. The wicked who turn, he calls the wicked unto himself to turn from their sins, to repent, uh, to uh, look in faith uh, to Jesus Christ and repent of their sins. God hears the prayers of the repentant, of the believing sinner, but he doesn't hear the prayers of those who are unrepentant and uh, turn away from uh, following uh, his will. And so the Sanhedrin uh, in this setting are basically uh, stumped um, because they can't deny what he's just said. Verse 32, the man continues with his, with his testimony. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? You know, there, there are many miracles um, that were performed um, in the Old Testament. Um, we can remember a lot of those miracles uh, during the time of Moses, Joshua, um, during the time of the judges, 
um, during the time of Elijah, Elisha, many miracles that were performed, uh, even raising the dead. But interesting, uh, we don't ever hear recorded um, one who was blind who was healed of their blindness. That doesn't mean it didn't happen necessarily, but it's not recorded that, that we find uh, the healing of a blind man. And so when he says, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Um, as far as that which is recorded, uh, that would seem to be true. Psalm 146, 8. Psalm 146.8 says, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. So, it may be that the Lord did, in fact, open the eyes of the blind, uh, you know, actual miracles uh, of that nature, and heal the deaf. But it's, it is interesting that, that we don't have actual uh, incident of one that was blind or born blind being healed of their blindness. It appears that, again, and perhaps again the reason is so as to more clearly put the spotlight on the prophecies made concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament that he would heal the blind and the deaf and the lame so that when Jesus came and that's what he did it would be more clear confirmation that here is the Messiah doing exactly what was prophesied that he would do back in Isaiah 42, 7. Thus the healed man is declaring that the healing of the blind is unheard of from the beginning of time, and yet Jesus, he's telling the, the Sanhedrin, yet Jesus has done this. This is what Jesus was, has done. This is what the Messiah was prophesied to do when he comes. Let's not forget that whenever we're reading about uh, the miracles of Jesus, literal, physical miracles performed upon the body, like the healing of their, their eyes that were blind, that there's a, a much more important miracle that is performed on anyone who actually comes to believe in Jesus Christ, and that is the healing of their spiritual blindness. That's a far greater miracle than to be healed of, of mere physical blindness. That's a great miracle. But the greatest miracle is to be healed of spiritual blindness. Because we can't even believe, um, we cannot uh, see, Jesus said, we cannot even see the kingdom of God, that is to believe uh, in Christ until we are born again, until he gives us the sight, until he heals our blindness. Uh, that's similar to the miracle of, of 
raising us from the dead spiritually. So all of these miracles that were performed physically, whether it be blindness, deafness, uh, muteness, lameness, paralysis, um, uh, death, being raised from the dead, all of those have their spiritual counterparts, which are of greater uh, and greater supernatural power uh, by way of importance and significance because the healing of one who is physically uh, blind uh, is only for this life. The healing of one who is spiritually blind is for this life and for all eternity. And therefore, you tell me which of those two miracles is greater. The one that lasts for merely time here upon the earth or the one that lasts for all eternity. So let us as we consider the healing of this man's physical blindness, realize that is simply intended to show to us the greatness of the Lord Jesus, that if we see spiritually, if we believe and trust in Jesus, it's because we have, our eyes have been opened spiritually. He has given us sight. Otherwise, we could not believe. We could not trust in him. We would not love him. We would not love to keep his laws and his commandments that he has given to us. We would not want to worship him in spirit and truth. That's all due to the fact that he has given us sight. Verse 33. The man says, If this man, meaning Jesus, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So the blind man declares here, Basically, what you remember Nicodemus uh, said in a very similar fashion back in John 3, 2. Speaking of Nicodemus, it says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus... Say, saying, you know, and he was, one, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the great teachers of Israel at that time. And he says, by night, comes in the stealth of night, under the cover of darkness, because he doesn't want to be seen um, that he's coming to Jesus. But he's willing to say to Jesus, uh, you couldn't do the, what you're doing unless you were sent by God. <clears throat> and uh, that's what this man's saying the, in, likewise in verse 33 if this man were not of God he could do nothing it's an interesting uh, thought that since Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin and that it had been called into session to hear and to, to examine this man uh, that he may have been present and probably was present 
for the examination of this man that had been healed by the Lord Jesus. You remember back a couple chapters in John 7, 50. It says, speaking uh, of those who had come to believe in Jesus, it says, Nicodemus saith unto them, that is, unto his fellow Sanhedrin members, uh, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, being one of the Sanhedrin, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? So he's, he is not coming outright to say, I support Jesus, but he's saying... Um, more indirectly, um, does our law condemn somebody without hearing their testimony, which the Sanhedrin was doing? And so Nicodemus was probably there to hear the words of the blind man and agreed probably and no doubt with what the blind man had said or the man that had, that, uh, had been healed of blindness. Understand again the relationship uh, between miracles and um, and being sent by God, uh, teaching uh, what God had given to Jesus and to the apostles. The miracles do not establish uh, the commission of Jesus or the commission of the apostles having been sent by God. The miracles don't establish that. It's the fact that God sent them. It's God that establishes the commission, the sending. The miracles don't establish that. Um, even if one did not perform a miracle, which various prophets in the Old Testament, there's no record, John the Baptist, there's no record of him performing a miracle, didn't mean that he was not sent by God. So it's, it's the fact that God sends that is that which establishes the commission. But miracles, when God gives miracles, as obviously Jesus performed or the apostles performed, uh, it is to confirm, to corroborate, not to establish the fact that they are sent by God. So understand the difference. Very important distinction to make. Miracles corroborate they confirm the truth. Okay, the truth is the truth, whether there is no, whether it's a miracle or not, because it comes from God. The miracle confirms is intended to confirm the truth. Uh, it does not make the truth more trustworthy. Uh, it is as trustworthy as it will ever be because it comes from God. But it is just a uh, it's a confirmation to our own weaknesses that God gives miracles to confirm. And that's very important uh, to realize because the Bible talks about lying miracles. And if we put all our faith in miracles and not in the truth, then we can be deceived, we can be misled. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, speaks of the man of sin performing lying wonders 
which will mislead and deceive uh, many whom God has not called. In Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3, the Lord, even in the Old Testament, says that if, that if someone rises up and performs a miracle, and if what he says is not the truth, if what he teaches is not the truth, even if the miracle uh, is uh, obviously a miracle, and, and, and it seems to be speaking of a miraculous prophecy that comes to pass, it comes to pass, but he's not speaking what's right. It says, don't follow him. God says, don't follow him because God is testing you to see whether or not you're going to follow the truth or you're going to follow the miracle. The words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 16, on that final day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we, and then you, you remember the words, didn't we prophesy in thy name, perform many wondrous works and miracles in thy name, cast out demons in thy name, and the Lord will turn to them and say, depart from me, ye who work iniquity, I never knew you. I never knew you. Not I knew you one time, but now I don't, but I never knew you. You're never one of mine. Finally, in verse 34, this is now the Sanhedrin responding to the man that was healed. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So being unable to respond to the strength of the blind, of the man who was healed, uh, his argument and, the, and what he has just said to them, they resort to ad hominem, attacks. Ad hominem means to the person rather than to what is said, responding to what the man said. They go after him and say, you're just such a great sinner. That's why you were born blind. And they attack the man. Well, that's usually um, in whether it's on the internet or whether, you know, in any forum or uh, uh, in um, our conversations with one another or whatever. When we go after the person rather than the issue, uh, that's usually a sign of the weakness of our position, that we're not able to really deal with the issue at hand, but we have to attack the person. They attack him as one altogether born in sin. Well, yes. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Original sin? Uh, that uh, we're all born in sin. Uh, uh, that's what uh, David teaches in Psalm 51. Five, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Original sin. You know, you want to say to the Sanhedrin, duh. You know, yes, he was born in sin. So are we all. So are you. Uh, Sanhedrin, you were born in sin as well. So they basically say, you're such a sinner, we're not going to listen to you. What can you possibly say to teach us? Um, so, they, so they say to him, these proud Jewish leaders basically are unteachable. But dear ones, uh, 
really the best and the most faithful teachers um, throughout history are those who can learn, can learn even from the simplest and the so-called lowliest as long as what is said is agreeable to God's word. That we ought not to have the attitude, who do you think you are to teach me? Uh, we can all be taught. We all have room to grow. And so the fear of excommunication um, on the part of this man that was healed that was present in his first interview uh, that fear of excommunication now is gone. Uh, he's standing boldly, and that's what happens. Uh, he's excommunicated. That's what it means when it says they cast him out. They excommunicated him right there on the spot. The fear of excommunication with a Jew uh, uh, was a second only to death itself. And yet this man that was healed has now been given the courage by God uh, to stand for what he knows is true, that Jesus was sent by God. And he was even willing to suffer an excommunication in order to be faithful to the truth. And so we close by simply uh, noting uh, we need fear, Germans. No, no man. We need fear, no ruler. We need fear no court uh, when we stand for the truth that's revealed in Scripture. Let God be true, but every man a liar, Paul says in Romans 3, 4. Luther at the Diet of Worms says, Unless my conscience is convinced by the word of God, I will not recant. He would not recant what he had taught, which was agreeable to the word of God. I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. May that be likewise our declaration. Here I stand upon God's word. I can do no other. Let's stand in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thou hast sent the Lord Jesus, even from all eternity in the covenant of redemption, there was that covenant entered into between the Father and the Son, and we praise Thee for that covenant was realized in Christ's coming. Uh, to purchase the salvation of his elect, to purchase everlasting life for us who trust in him. We pray, our Lord, that we would uh, see in Jesus being sent by the Father, again, the realization of that covenant from all eternity, that we would rejoice in it because we, from all eternity, were included in that covenant. We were the ones to be redeemed. We were the ones to be saved, to be conformed to the image of Christ and granted everlasting life in spite of our wickedness, our sin, which he took upon himself. 
and bearing the judgment of our sin, the condemnation for our sin. Pray that, Lord, thou would use thy word this evening to encourage us, to instruct us, to convict us, to challenge us, to walk in thy ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions uh, from the study this evening? All right, you are dismissed. <laughs>